Welcome to Common Threads, produced by Artifacts, the podcast that brings tailors together through open and authentic conversation. We post new episodes periodically, talking with tailors, merchants, and other businesses that make up the sartorial world. Make sure to visit our website at discoverartifacts.com and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the show. George, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that we finally got you on here. It's been a bit of a journey, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's taken its time, but I think uh, all things are good that you wait for. So you were telling me, how's your how's your week been? You said you're getting some trouser patterns ready. Uh, we are getting some jeans patterns ready, yeah, to to take to a small production here just out, well, just well inside London, but in the very north of it. Um, we're excited to work with them, and we've been just developing the patterns so far, and then taking them to get samples tomorrow. I was just made a podcast with uh, Paul Cruz. You're familiar with Paul Cruz? I'm not. No, where is he? He's a jeans maker out of uh, the Netherlands. He makes jeans, uh, worker jackets, like worker shirts uh, and shirts. And his jeans are really incredible. Super clean. Uh, there are no open seams. He uses only selvage denim. They're, they're really awesome. And you can find him on Instagram very easily or his website, Paul Cruz. Uh, K-R-U-I-Z-E, I think is how it's spelled. Yeah, he's re- he's really good, and he also I don't know if you may also be familiar with Dawson Jeans. I'm, they might be out of London, if I'm Dawson right. Jeans. No, Dawson, I'm not yeah. actually. No, they make well, they actually. also make selvage denim jeans, kind of like a similar process where you know they're bespoke or as bespoke as jeans can get. Yeah, I'm just get I'm just becoming aware of selvage itself. It's I've it's been... cool stuff. It's a whole other world too. Yeah, it's certainly another world. So I've seen people talk about it for years, I guess. But only just recently, after looking at jeans and trying to get into it ourselves, have we come across it. And it's quite perplexing. Well, I would I would definitely recommend that you talk to Paul Cruz then, because he's, he's super helpful, great with information. And we actually talked about in the podcast, we talked about some of his process. Um, and he also has a couple of YouTube videos, which are extremely... Uh, well made, well put together, and oh, well, sounds and like they show a lot of the my, process. Hold off my meeting tomorrow and watch a bit of Paul Cruz first. <laughs> it's they're, they're long videos as well, so I think you'll enjoy them. Um, and then we also in the podcast we talked about uh, some of the cutting that goes into the selvage denim jeans because what happens from what he told me because I've never cut jeans before um, is your outseam is straight, and that's going to go on the selvage, um, and that's how you're going to get your outseam with the selvage denim. Um, and basically that outseam is what your center of your regular trouser pattern would be in terms of pattern making. So instead of working from this, you know, like how you have the center of your trouser pattern and then you go, uh, up, I don't know, 10 centimeters and down 10 centimeters to get your, to get your width of the trouser. Yeah. 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 This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying perplexing because they obviously, um, the cut of a jean of jeans pattern is so that it factors in selvage. So I don't know if you've ever had a, I don't know, being a, I don't know, coming from a tailoring background, I look at my jeans and I see, and I have selvage jeans and I see the way they turned inward. And without thinking about it, I always wondered why they were cut like that, as if they weren't, you know, they weren't cut true. 
the way you and I both know of cutting, which sends semen, then you work off that, or the center press, and you work off that. They um they basically counter that and cut for the cloth rather than cutting for the pattern. So it's this, this cloth is so important to people um, and jean makers and jeans themselves that the pattern has been changed from a normal pair of trouser patterns in order to basically um, be able to cut salvage the salvage cloth um, sort of economically as well as showing that it is salvage so there is no you know overlocking done or needed because they cut it on a straight on the side as you were just talking about um so actually <laughs> funnily enough with our jeans i i can't compute that in my head uh because of my tailoring background and of cutting trousers in a completely different way to the way the jean system of pattern cutting is and i've always never been able to bear the fact that my jeans turned i believe it's inwards my my side seam comes around to the front of my leg rather than staying true to the side so we're actually going to be cutting jeans in um a tradition traditional way and in, in the way in which you'd cut you know a normal suit suit pair of trousers but without a sort of front pleat so they're flat they're flat fronted um there will be that panel in the back i'm yet to find out about that paneling that goes into the back rather than having a the dark. yoke, the yeah, yoke, the yoke. Kind of, yeah yeah so that's my main gig tomorrow at production is george i highly that. recommend that you get in touch with paul because he would i think he's he's very open with helping people for, well, first of all, he's from the Netherlands, and he speaks English fantastically, as if he was a, if, as if he knew it from from a child. Yeah, I'm from sure. if, he, if he knew it from when he was speaking as a child. Yeah, I highly recommend you that you talk to him. We kind of got off on a, on a tangent Sorry. there with the jeans. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Good stuff. But for for um, people who are listening, who are not familiar with you or any of the projects that you do with like Speciale, what what is it that you do? You're a tailor, right? I am a tailor, yeah. So to put it, to make it, it's basically, I am here in a shop in sort of the top of Notting Hill, the north end of Notting Hill in London. Uh, we have a small shop where we do a few bits of pieces ready to wear. And in the back is myself and a trouser maker called Dan. We cut, make, finish, and press everything in-house. Um, it's a slow process. So we we have a small small amount of output. Um, what we do, we like. I guess we see it as special, as in, and obviously our, the name of our shop is Speciali. As the name alludes, of course. Uh, but the name itself is actually taken from an old house, tailoring house in Florence, which um, a few of the people who trained me in and around Florence um, worked at, and they were always my favourite my favorite tailors that I worked with actually. Well, I love all the tailors I worked with really, but that was the, that was the way of making and cutting that sort of spoke to me most. Anyway, so I can't, and that is over now that house. And I asked the, the guys who, uh, you know, one shine up shop, one doesn't work in tailor anymore. Um, whether it'd be okay if I took the name and they said that they, they'd be happy for me to take the name. So here I am with it. And wow. I, I guess that's us. Well, that's cool. And I know, you said that you kind of you assimilated pretty well to the Italian type of tailoring and specifically the Florentine type of tailoring. I just want to let you know that uh, Vittorio Salino says hello. I was in Florence on Saturday talking with Vittorio because there will be an article coming out with him as well. 
great. Um, you know, it was in the tailor man. shop. He is a charming man. He is a charming, and he told me a, a beautiful story about uh, his birthday. And <laughs> <laughs> do you know what story he's he's talking? Yeah, about? I think so. Yeah. What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. He didn't. He didn't go into too much detail. But he did tell me that you were extremely nice and gentlemanly. And on, and on his uh, birthday, when you went out to eat, you you bought him two bottles of champagne, and you and you gave like the Ned the head nod to the to the to the waiter to come over very very elegantly and in, and in a beautiful way. Is what Vittorio said to me. Oh well, that's very kind. Yeah, no, he's lovely. I do miss him. He's a great man. I'm he happy is to great. have met him and worked with him. He is great. Uh, how old are you? I am 29 now. Okay, and so you, so did you go to college? Like, what was the progression from you? What was the pro- progression of you getting into tailoring? Uh, the way I got into it was, I would say, probably by mistake. Really, I um, I left school. I was good at painting people. Uh, I wasn't much good at anything else, to tell the truth. I wasn't very interested in anything else. Uh, school, I didn't do very well at, but I did enjoy art, so I went on with that. And I went to, I went to paint, uh, do academic sort of p- portrait painting in Florence itself. So I went to a couple art schools there, in which Florence is a small place. You get to know a lot of people. You get introduced to a lot of people, and I met a tailor there and he was wearing a suit at the time it was at a party and we got talking about the suit and by the time we knew it the party was over it was quite early in the morning and everyone had to go home and he told me that i should come to milan as he was just about to start his own atelier there uh so i short i I always liked fashion and i sort of saw my sort of training and art is something that I was doing just because I was told I was good at it and for no other reason really I didn't really enjoy it and I wasn't really doing much of it and school wasn't really that interesting to me at the time so I went straight over to him I decided I wanted to do fashion and if I was going to do fashion I wasn't going to go to art school I wanted to learn how to actually make things and if I was going to be you know have whatever it takes to be good at the creative and fashion I didn't really believe it could be nurtured into me from a sort of uh, fashion school I just thought if I can make the things I want to be able to make and if I've got it, I've got it. And if I don't, I don't. And that we'll get to that later. But anyway, instantaneously sort of fell in love watching this guy I just met making suits. Um, everything was so far beyond what I possibly thought went into a suit. I, uh, I previously got a suit from Savile Row when I was 18 because uh, I've, always, I've always been into the idea of it. But anyway, watching this guy in his own world with all these sort of gestures and the, the way he moved was in a completely alienating sort of way to me. I, I'd never seen someone move so intuitively to what they do in a practice and in a craft every day. And I think that was so, so attractive to me that I felt at that moment I had to have what he had, his own world. It, didn't, it seemed impenetrable and it seemed like the happiest place he could be. And so is the tailor that you're talking about right now the same tailor that you met at the at the party who told you needed to go to Milan? Sorry, yeah, he is, yeah. This same okay. guy. And that's was that Speciale or is that somebody else? He was the last apprentice of Speciale. Oh. L I should say L dot Speciale. L dot Speciale. So Sorry, you went boring. So basically out of did you finish university then? 
No. You you ended up dropping out of university and throwing yourself into the world of tailoring. I did indeed. Wow. What a story. But that that must take some serious courage. I know for me, you know, I ended up not going to university at all. But then I get I can only imagine that the pressure was even more for you being in university to to finish. What was that like for you? I honestly I honestly didn't really feel that pressure. I never I I've only started feeling those sort of pressures um we have on ourselves the society puts upon us in these recent years. When I was that age, I um I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I just wanted to find something that made me happy. I um I thought it, you know I'd prepared to do kind of whatever it took to find that. And to me, leaving art school, which I wasn't really interested in anyway, um, was just a simple choice. I, I loved Florence, but I'd had enough there at that time. Um, I thought, Milan, great, why not? This sounds fun. Um, and just went, went, yeah, went straight away. It was easy. It was easy to make that decision for you. It was, yeah. That's awesome. So in, So then what was the transition from... You're you're talking with this guy at this party. He's you're talking about tailoring. You go to the shop. You see these tailors working. When is it? When's the first time that you go into a tailor shop as an apprentice or as somebody who's trying to learn? The, um, how was it seeing that, or was that the first time no. I had actually got into a tailor's? No, like when when was the first time that you went into a tailor shop and you and you you know you're talking with a tailor and he says here do these puntilenti like or he tells you what to do and you're, and you're doing it when's the first time that you're actually uh there and, and <laughs> oh, right so this this tailor he was trying something he tried a few bits and bobs um it didn't work out from the end but he was he was quite the character and quite easy to fall in love with as a character but my first job was drying 60 meters of cotton really sort of heavy duty cotton he'd picked up in india i think and uh so my first experience was using this 8kg iron uh, it wasn't exactly it wasn't damp but there was certainly no drying space for it so it was a bit it was pretty wet i wouldn't say it was soaking but this stuff is pretty wet so i had to do the pre-shrink for it for it to be in it and like able to use for ready to wear so i'm i'm sitting there uh well standing there at this huge table which i've never really seen for a cutter's table standing to me at that point seemed a bit a bit pointless but anyway i'm there counting the seconds of how long i should have it on to then move uh also with so much wet cloth i obviously couldn't shuffle the iron around so it was me picking putting it down picking it up counting five seconds picking it up putting it down for 60 meters of cloth so that was that was my first experience wow that's that's a pretty classic italian experience yeah yeah um... so you're there so you're in this in the is that with uh speciale are you in speciale no i'm not this is um so he's the last apprentice speciale um gave him his shears and said you know i want you to he gave the uh, the apprentices shears speciale he gave the apprentices the shears and uh i don't know exactly what happened and i couldn't take this guy at his word because he does romanticize things a fair bit um but he basically didn't end up taking over he definitely took the shears 
Uh, but he didn't end up taking over Speciali. <laughs> and he ended up in um, in Milan with his own tiny studio, giving it a crack himself under his own name. Very cool. But that's that's such a symbolic like passing of the torch, the passing of the shears and tailoring, as it would be. Yeah, great moment. So you unfortunately didn't get the shears from from Speciale. But at this point, you're in which tailor shop then? You're in the tailor shop and you're pressing this cloth. Which yeah, tailor shop? Yeah, he was called the Renzo Albrighi. Okay. He is now living in Taiwan, working on tech. Interesting. He's working on tech now. Uh, I, yeah, I believe so. Wow, Honestly, man, if you could, if you had this guy's life story, you would. You, he's lived a thousand lives. Very interesting. Maybe we'll have to get him on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, he won't talk about. <laughs> You're not sure it's going to work. I don't think he'll talk about tailoring, but yeah, he'll certainly talk to you. So that, that's your first experience is is pressing the 60 meters of this cotton cloth, which is interesting because I know many tailors today. Um, have kind of gone away from from doing that because with modern fabrics, it's less necessary to do the pre-shrinking. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was like vintage cotton or something and they wanted to do the pre-shrink. Oh, yeah. Nothing went through his um, hands that hadn't been pre-shrunk. Oh, okay. he, he pre-shrunk Vicuña, man. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he used to chuck his Vicuña coat in the machine. Uh, washing machine after a few wears. Wow. Like you said, this guy's got an interesting life story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, so you're with Lorenzo and then what's the shift like from going from Lorenzo and then you go to Speciale? I never actually got to step foot into spe- Speciale. I, uh, wow. I, um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know i like to think never meet your heroes um to to make me feel a little bit better having never been able to set foot in it but it may i guess i'm giving you know i'm trying to meet a standard which i've met from being trained by the people that you know obviously worked there but you know one was a head coat maker and one was the guy who was supposed to be the guy who who took it over from him but having never been there I, you know i'm trying to meet this standard which i've never which I only cook up in my head, I guess. So I, I try and see it as a good thing. It's very it's sad. Yeah, it saddens me, but I try and see it as a good thing. I, I think that probably is a good thing because at the end of the day, it's it's always chasing something, right? Exactly. I think sometimes it's, it's, I think that chase can be really difficult, but also it's kind of what keeps you going, thinking, oh, I can do this a little bit better. Um, or are you thinking, oh, what would this person say? What would my, um, you know, my tailoring hero or, or whatever you want to call them your uh, master tailor what would they tell you that exactly. kind of keeps you keeps you innovating or at least trying to 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 improve the quality of what you're making yeah no wow. for sure that's how i try and treat it and so then can you just can you take us through up until today then right okay so i had that I was in Milan for around eight, eight and a half months. Uh, I had a sort of a blow up. So with the guy I was trained under and he sent me back to London. 
that was from one day to the next. I'm suddenly back in London trying to make a life for myself, which is interesting. But I, I ended up getting this uh, sort of workshop in London. He told me to go at it, just make sort of 10 bad suits and learn from that, wear suits, turn them apart and go at it myself. And this is a tailor in, in Milan? This is the same tailor, Lorenzo. Okay, um, okay. So I'm back in London and taking his word and going at it myself. I, uh, so you had a falling out with Lorenzo, and then he gave you advice. He said, "Go make ten suit, go make ten suits, and see how it goes." Exactly, exactly. Wow. All right. Well, at least in parting, he was encouraging. Yeah, I, it was. It was quite strange. You know, it was. It was a good. It was an amicable breakup from uh, working with him. I still respect him, and you know, we're, we're great friends still. Um, but yeah, I very much came back to London, took his advice, made a load of crap suits, and. Um, carried on going i uh i then took a few jobs with dressmakers because they'd teach me how to do buttonholes and whatnot uh just tried to see the scene of london i did a bit of training with an old cutter from hardy amy's uh made a couple of suits him cutting and me making um i I, yeah i can't i i didn't take to it much having previously had the experience of this Milanese tailor but he'd trained in Florence but there was but he, he sort of took on the Milanese cut but anyway so then that was probably three years so how long so so then you you were you went to Milan falling out with Lorenzo back in London the next day but with the advice of making 10 suits. So then you're getting some experience in London, going around. How long did it take you to make those 10 suits, go around, learn buttonholes, uh, learn more cutting from from other tailors? How long did, How long was that period? Oh, I did that for, I think, about four years. Sort wow. of being a sort of nomad around London with my own tiny studio at times, picking up bits, taking it back to my studio, working that out from what I've learned with that person assessing what I'd like to learn next, um, sort of process, taking whatever job I could or really with um, alterations for, you know, uh, celebrities or, you know, important people. I'd be in like a hotel room taking in someone's trousers for their, before their dinner whilst he's, you know, making, you know, on the phone or something. It was, it was quite an odd, quite an odd, but quite fun time. Um, and at the end of those four years, sort of told myself I need to, Lorenzo had also told me there was a there was a tailor he learned under and that if ever I wanted to be serious about this, that I had to learn under him one day. And he lived <laughs> in Tuscany. So I called up Lorenzo's brother, he's a shoemaker, who lives right by him actually, in his in the the Albrighi sort of home in Tuscany. I called him up and I said, When can I come? You know, this guy's your one of your neighbours. Um, do you think he'd take me on? Uh, I just want to learn with him. I have to learn with him. What's it going to take? And he's pretty chilled out. Very lovely guy. Their family are really obliging to me, actually, and lovely. And I'm, I'm, if ever I got the opportunity, I'd like, I'd like to see the same back. But they don't often fancy leaving their glorious homes in Italy and coming and to so London. Are they, are they speaking? Are they speakers of English, or how does that work? Well, they're half English and half Italian. They um they quite simply have perfect English. Uh, probably a better English accent than me as well, as then they speak pr- proper English. Um, they some... speak proper proper English. Well, yeah, they're, they're what, of... What's the difference in the accents? 
it's there's, there's I guess you they you'd say nowadays someone would say it sounds posher. They're it's, a bit more aristocratic. Yeah, you know, well, it's sort of like the the Queen's English. Okay, okay. Um, rather than so, everything. you called up. So, so who did you talk with? You called Lorenzo's brother. I called his brother. Yeah, who's and a shoemaker who lives shoe in in Florence or in Tuscany. He lives in Tuscany. Okay. And you got in touch with this tailor who lives next to uh, the family of Lorenzo, correct? I did, yeah. Sorry, this is all rather quite long-winded. Uh, no, to, that's good. That's what we're, that's why we're here. To, to, more to the point, I ended up, he had the same attitude as his brother. It was just like, well, you know, just get here. Let's do it. You know, who cares if he doesn't want to take you on? We'll make it happen. Um, so I was like, right, okay, I'm on the next flight. Went out there. Um, got rid of everything I owned actually, uh, and just took hand luggage over because I thought that's, if I'm doing this properly, the only wardrobe I want to be wearing is made by me. Um, so Absolutely. that was that was sort of <laughs> so that was the energy I was going with. <laughs> I was going, I was going with uh, if I was good, yeah, it was going to go hard. So anyway, I get to this house, and he tells me where he lives, and just says, "Go to his door every day, and tell him you want to learn." Um, so I did that. I sort of just knocked on. I walked to his house every day, which was about three or four fields away, um, and just knocked on his door. Told him who I was in English. <laughs> uh, but I've always been very useless at Italian. Still am really. And he told me to go away, and that he wasn't taking anyone on, and that he's kind of retired anyway. So I just say, I'd, you know, I'd see him tomorrow, see if he changed his mind. Um, and just did and that. At this and point. Well, at this point, you're not in Florence, so you're like in in the country of you're in Tuscany in these fields. How's that work? How is that working for you? Where are you at? What are you? Where are you living? I am living in the barn. It's August, about forty degrees. For some reason, whenever I move to Italy, I seem to do it in August. So it's about forty degrees. I'm living in the barn. Well, um, whose barn is this? Is this a barn that you found on the side of the road? No, or? no. This is the barn of. Uh, the brother, the shoemaker. Okay. Yeah, so it's a little barn behind his grandparents' side of the house. And do you uh, have running water in this barn? Or is it is this a yeah, nice yeah, barn? I, or is no, this a barn I, for animals? I did have running water. I had an outdoor outdoor sort of shower, and the only bathroom was in the main house. So that you know that was interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, I remember. And so then every morning, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, sorry. So I was introduced. They got shown the barn, then my bed, and he said, "Oh, by the way, um, uh, so and so uh, died in this bed. Anyway, have a good night." <laughs> um, and that—that's just sort of the humour of that of those two boys, which I quite like. But also, it wasn't an enjoyable night. Wow, wow. <laughs> and so then, so you're there. What what was the time period between you finding out you get the green light from? What's Lorenzo's brother's name? Uh, Federico. Fed. Federico. Yeah. Okay. So you get the green light from Federico, and then what's the time period between you leaving London and you arriving in in Italy? Is that a handful of weeks? Oh, from the from the initial phone call. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was sort of next day. I think I booked a flight that evening, had it the next day. And so then 
you book the flight next day and then you arrive there and Federico shows you this barn and he says, this is where you're going to be sleeping and uh, so-and-so died in this bed. Good night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the next morning, then you wake up uh, and you go, you walk, I don't know how far, to this tailor. I'd say it's about 1.2 miles. It's not too much of a stretch, although, you know, on the way there, it is uphill. Um, yeah, through a few fields. Um, and I, I think I, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for it to be, you know, a bit gritty. I wanted some, I wanted the change. I was quite bored. I really wanted um, everything, my surroundings and everything to change and for me to sort of dive into finessing my work or finishing it off or doing the sort of you know last bit of it in a very different environment and uh, i guess i achieved that <laughs> so that was something that you were actually looking for you were lo you were looking for that kind of eccentric um experience where maybe it's it's very emotional it's very intense it's very secluded from normal society and that is really what is is what is able to help you learn and to be so focused. Yeah, I needed a jilt, I guess. That's what I wanted. I just wanted a sort of, you know, a charge. Um, and London, London's home for me, and it's quite easy. So I just wanted to be in a Canadian place. And I, yeah, I definitely got that. Um, I'm not saying I was looking for like the gritty stuff of it, but I was just basically going there, and I was about to, I was ready to accept anything that came my way it got in the way of what i wanted to achieve um and i wasn't going home which is kind of dangerous a little bit if you think yeah yeah it's in, not, in it terms of, of accepting yeah. whatever you're going to find yeah i yeah i i got this sort of i think most of us i think my i think most tailors do and I'm, I'm not claiming to be i think we all have this bit inside of us where we um can turn a switch and it's basically just, you know, if anyone tells us, however, the best way to learn is we'll just do that. And, you know, I think if someone says you have to sleep in that bed in order to work for me or whatever it may be, you kind of just have this switch, which I don't know if it's it's sort of a masochist touch to the psyche of a tailor. But I just I believe we kind of all have it really. And that's part of what being a craftsman is about. Um, Yeah, the sort of giving giving yourself to something. I think, I think that's such a good point, George. I, I know I go through that at certain times where it's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit of a love hate relationship where I think, um, you know, I can't, it's like, I, I can't deal with this, but then it's also, uh, the other side of that is kind of where I have a chip on my shoulder. And I think I want this guy to be, uh, mean to me. And then I'm going to show him that, oh, I can actually, I can withstand this and I can, I can get through it and I'm going to do it better than anybody that he's ever seen. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. You talk of, you're talking about it right there. I think everyone in craft has it. Um, you re you read about it. Everyone's sort of like, you know, hardships and what they find. It's just like, yeah, but you know, if this was an easy gig, I don't think it would attract the sort of people that get into it. And I don't think, I don't think it'd be as special as it is. And yeah. It's just a given for me. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a great point, though. So that's what you were looking for. You were looking for that uh, intense experience. You were looking for the experience of, of of a craftsman. And maybe I don't know. 
what it is, but I, I do think you're hitting on a point that's really difficult to explain because I don't know if it's been talked about a lot, but it's kind of, I don't want to say the spirit of the craftsman, but kind of reinterpreting the craftsman in modern times because before craftsmen were pretty much always built in that in in that same sense like they they didn't live in the modern era uh having modern jobs having our modern mindset of of how we live and how we go to work uh and how we enter and we how we have our social lives um so i think that's an interesting point to to understand for particularly young people um who want to get into certain crafts it's like how do how do they get to that point of craftsmanship in the modern world that we live in and i think you 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 did that you kind of, it's kind of like going back to the roots almost like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by subscribing now if you have any thoughts or comments please feel free to share them with us on instagram facebook or directly on our website at discoverartifacts.com. Now, back to the show. What do you think about that? I mean, how do you how do how do we make craftsmen today in a modern in a modern age? I don't I don't know from from the people that I know in it and from the people that I know trained all of us lot. The people that train you they're a pretty moody bunch. <laughs> It's quite to fun. say the least. Yeah, they, you know they've got their quirks. They like they, but they can be bitter as it as much as they as they want. Um, not all, but most. I don't care how bitter they are. You know they're still doing it at the age where all their peers have retired from what they're doing, and they might say that's you know because they don't get as much money. But it's it's I can put it down to the fact that they just love it. Like they really love it. It's their, it's they're like, it's their baby. And unlike their kids that they may have had in real life, like those ones grew up. This one is a baby for their whole life. And if they this get, one's never gonna leave me. Yeah, this one's never leaving them. And if someone comes along and goes like, you know, zip zap, give me the everything you got. Pop it. I'll pop it in a little notebook, and I'll go back and uh, and basically just do that on my own because. You've just told me how to do everything. It it just you know these that's just not how it works. So that's why you're dealing with a tricky world, and that's why I guess people have come up against some tricky characters, or had to do silly things, or odd things, or pretty hard things, because you're trying to basically tell someone to give you what they love most in this world, um, at a snippet of the price, and and every craftsman learns the hard way and. Yeah, that's just natural but that's just natural to what it is and what's what i'd say to young people finding a craft now how do we keep it going i think i think these people just i think they exist really like craftsman is a sort of way of thinking just had a girl come in the other day saying you know she worked for all these tech people she had a good job earned quite a bit of money she trained for that got all the sort of work done took a good degree to get it is bored of it and sort of recently come and found tailoring um, and is giving it as hard a crack as she can and going around everywhere, knocking on doors, trying to get a job. So obviously with her in mind and for that question, I just think those people are out there. They'll find it. It's always an interesting road because it's just, it's going to cool you really. 
you, you're going to feel it tapping, like, you know, tapping at your shoulder quite. You don't know exactly what it is, but one day you'll turn around and you'll realize that you were supposed to be sitting down with your back, back hunched over yourself, straining your eyes in the dark corner somewhere, stitching someone's suit. And when, when the, the point of view that you have is, I don't know if many people share that point of view or if they've had that realization. I think maybe a lot of people know or would resonate with what you're saying, but I don't know if they would actually be able to put that into words. When was it that you were, that you had this sort of, uh, when was it uh, that you came into this point of view of, of thinking about tailoring and about crafts? Um, I think it was right, right at the end, really. It was all quite abstract, sort of like, I just, I've probably worked with the most, like in really small sections with the most amount of tailors. Most people I know have trained with one house, come out in the end and do this, that and the, and the other. I've had such an eclectic sort of meeting of minds in the same world that I've had quite a few experiences leaving me to sort of push my idea of what this person I am going to be is. Um, so I guess that's why I thought about it more. They Maybe all... that's what having that collective experience is what, is what brought you to that conclusion. Yeah, I got more of perspective, I guess. Um, which, which, is exactly what, uh, which is exactly what Taylor's back in the day did. You know, I've been talking with... with my master tailor's name's Vittorio, and and I've talked with many other old tailors as well. He's Vittorio is almost eighty five, and he says uh, once an apprentice has made his rounds and gone to a, t- a bunch of different tailor shops, then he creates his own method and then he becomes a tailor for himself. So I think what you did was was the original method of success or success recipe. Uh, for Taylor's 50, 60, 70 years ago. Well, I think you've been pretty kind there, man. We'll find out one day. <laughs> no, I really do think that's what it is. Yeah. I really do think that's what it is. Because, like you said, many people just go to one house and they learn and then maybe they do some experimenting, they read books and stuff, but they don't have a ton of experience with other tailors. Um, which is something that I resonate with as well because I've been in the world of tailoring since 2017. So three years now, actually this September, it's three years. And for me, it's been particularly tough because in three years I've worked in five different tailoring houses (laughs) and every time (laughs) it's like restarting. So it's for me, I, I kind of know a little bit about what you're saying where it's like getting that perspective, talking with these tailors and maybe it's not, the most fun thing and maybe they're not the most cheerful people but at the end of the day they're experienced and i hope what you said is correct which is that they love what they do i hope that's i hope that's what it is yeah i think i'm lucky for the most part all the people i met learn under we just want what like one like wonderful humans as well as wonderful tailors um yeah i think that's part of it Definitely part of it. So, where did we leave off? We kind of got sidetracked there by the whole by I'm living gonna, in a I'm barn gonna, and I'm everything. I'm going to do that for you. <laughs> yeah. well, where did where did we leave off there? So, uh, I'm forgetting what the story is. Okay. 
So we get to Tuscany, I think. That was about it. So you get to Tuscany. You're I living in the in the in um what's his name? Fed Fed's bar in his barn, Federico's barn. And you're going to this tailor every day and you're saying, Teach me, teach me, teach me, right? Exactly. Um And then where do we go from there? How does that relationship uh, how does that relationship uh continue? One day he opens the door, says, go up to the top of the stairs and um, wait for me there in a sort of a very fed up Italian way. <laughs> All spoken in Italian as well. I didn't really understand a word, but he just sort of pointed upwards. So I just carried on walking up the stairs. Uh, so I got to the top of, I'd say it's like a tower to his house. And that was his workroom. Um and at the time, he was employed just as a trouser maker, freelance to a few of the houses in Florence. So he just he, so he just chucked me a pair of trousers. I think it was um, doing a cross stitch to, to to secure the sort of inside seam down, and that was the first thing I did, and just went from there. Wow. I think you t- you briefly went over a, a pretty important point, which is understanding so much without even understanding a language. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were there and you weren't speaking the language, but what what was it like? I mean, you were doing, hopefully, eventually, you were doing what uh, this tailor was asking you to do, right? Yeah, the test was him giving me something and not telling me how to do it. And seeing how if I got it right or not. Luckily, for the most part, I could kind of look at what he'd done already, um, and go from there. So on trouser work, it was you know it was all it was all there. There wasn't anything. It was it was the way he moved and you know how seamlessly everything was done. And I'd be looking at his ironwork, being like, "Whoa, he hasn't thought about that." And he'd pick it up off the table, and I'd be like, "Holy God, he thought about that." Um, it was that sort of stuff. But then a day came when I, you know, made a few pairs of trousers for him. And I was like, come on then, show me some coat making or some jacket making. And, um, so he said, cut a suit, bring it back. I'll show you how to make it. So I went away and cut a suit for my friend who I was living with. And at the end of each day after making trousers for him, he showed me a little bit more of the way he, he, his style of making. Uh, he was pretty livid that I wanted to put a front dart on it, though. So once we got over that, it was fine. Wow. That's some of that Florentine style there. Yeah. He was pretty confused to why anyone would want a front dart. So who was it? So this is – we're only talking about making up at, up until this point as well, right? Like you did some – you worked with the tailor in London uh, on cutting a little bit prior to that. Did you have any kind of formal um, cutting, cutting teaching, or I don't know what you want to call it, apprenticeship, uh, ju- just for cutting? No, I think I think every person, maybe these are just makers talking, or I don't know really, but every t- tailor that I've really respected, well, I've, I've respected. Don't get me wrong. I've respected a few others that wouldn't have said anything to me. I've just worked for them, just to be there. But um, a few of them that I got close to would just be like, once once you know how to make, you'll know how to cut. Um, 
here's the drafting method, and then they give me the drafting method. So the drafting method was something that could, you know, wasn't that simple to get down, but it was easy enough to kind of, after, you know, just keep applying, keep applying, was making suits myself. But that that is pretty much what, you know, what, all I got in terms of technical pattern making. I don't know if you've spoken to Laura already, but she could tell you that. You know, she she thinks I'm like a tailor out of, I think the other day she said the way I put in a sleeve is something out of 1876 or something. <laughs> um, which is pretty rude. Which I reply, there's nothing clever about modernizing tailoring, Laura. Um, what, what made her, what would ever make her say something like that? Um... Well, the way I put in the sleeve is sort of, you know, I, I just uh, look at the pitch mark of the sleeve, sort of inside seam where the lining will mark up to, or the sort of, fit, the, you know, the full seam. Um, I line it up with my armhole and then go from there. I'm pretty used to it. I, yeah, that's. I have to say that's how a lot of tailors do it. You're just talking about the, you're lining up the underseam of your sleeve with the front, uh, with, with your dart that's in your armhole, right? Well, so yeah, taking a rough guide from around there. Uh, yeah, that gives you uh, your pitch, and yeah, then... and then you go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just personally think it's like in the long run, it's the quickest and easiest way to do it. In short term, if you're learning it, it's not. But after you've done enough of it, you'll be alright. Um, but yeah, that's that's the reason why Laura says that. That's interesting. I'll I'll have to make a note to talk to Laura about that. <laughs> to get her to get her side of the story maybe you were putting it in a sleeve like from the 1800s and we don't and you're just making it seem like it's normal i don't know no no i'm certainly no not she showed me some patterns i'm certainly not right i can't wrap my head around those patterns all right we're getting sidetracked here with this whole sleeve Sorry. sleeve talk which is also awesome <laughs> awesome stuff but so you're where, where were we where were we uh, you asked you about remember? patting my um, if I you know where's my training from cutting. I remember. From? I remember where we were. So he, the this tailor, he's showing you, he's showing you how, how to make trousers. You make a couple of pair of trousers, and you're like, all right, let's see some coat making. Let's see some jacket making. He, you cut a suit for your friend, right? Is that for Federico? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you cut that suit for Federico, and you take it back to the tailor right you walk a mile up the road mile and a half down the road yeah, and, yeah. and you uh take it to the tailor and, and he's baffled that you want to put a a front dart on there and then where does it where do we go from there i know i was obviously stubborn enough to actually get it done so if someone came in my, in my shop and wanted to put a front dart and something i'd tell them no it's not you know not even in a billion <laughs> unless it was a girl's you know jacket um but yeah, anyway, he seemed to let me do it and we cracked on and I got to see what he did and, and he'd do that in the evenings after we finished a bit of trouser work. Um, and yeah, so we carried on like that for, for a while until the jacket was done and then he begrudgingly, I'd be like, oh, please just put a word in for me to someone in, you know, a tailor's in Florence um, that you obviously are connected to because I hear you talking on the phone, you know, once a week or whatever. And you obviously work for them as it is. And he sort of go, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. And that took a while. And then one day he did actually call him up and be like, yeah, he's, he's all right. Take him on, would you? Get him out of my hair, fine. Yeah, the, the, yeah, this kid's really doing my head in. 
Um, so did you end up doing a, a first fitting for that jacket? What was that? What, what was that like? You did first fitting and then you took it back, did a second fitting or like, what was, what was the deal with that? Yeah. So I did all the fittings, um, back okay. at barn when I got back there at night. So all that was sorted through that. Um, yeah, so it was just about making. The guy had been a maker since he was about 14. He was, at the time I met him, was about 70, 73, maybe 72. Um, and the guy hadn't cut, you know, he hadn't cut one thing, which is, you know, you can find sort of odd, which is, I guess it is odd. But at the same time, um, his making was just astonishing, really. Yeah, which is that's also interesting that you mentioned that you know, like you hear him on the phone talking with Taylor's in Florence. Um, he didn't. I would imagine he would be going to Florence, or someone would be going there to drop off uh, materials and stuff. Because I know we have uh, external tailors that work for the tailor shop that I'm in, and they come in. You know, they're like they're exactly like the guy that you're describing. One of them, his name's Enzo. And he has 80, he's, he's more than 80 years old. He gets on the bus. It takes him two and a half hours to get here. He gets the materials from us. It takes like five minutes. And then he leaves. He goes two and a half hours uh, yeah. back home. Yeah. And then there's, we have other tailors that come in as well. So, I mean, were, were there people coming in and out or what was that like? Uh, a car would sort of pitch up downstairs. He'd go down, have a little chat, grab whatever it was off them. And then they'd. Pile, pile off in the car again he he um he rarely went into town to pick anything up it was often dropped off to him and then picked up again um but yeah that guy as you talk of enzo those boys they they're the real the real gems and um, what was so you you're like all right give me can i can i get a good word in for a tailor in florence and and where does the story go from there so he calls up um Gianni, I think Gianni Seminara calls up one day asking about trousers. He says, I've got a kid here, you should, you know, you should give him a chance. Um so one day I'm just I'm pitching up at Seminara in Florence, who's just, you know, it's just such a lovely man. Still running up the steps to his atelier to get his um daily exercise. You know, he introduced me to where he works, to the people that work for him, a couple of coat makers, you know, do different rounds, different shifts. So, you know, one will be in one day and another the next. Some days there's two of them or not. Uh, suffice it to say, I didn't get along with one of his coat makers who I was under and who was told that I was going to be trained under him. <laughs> he didn't like the idea of that. Uh, we didn't get along and uh, he got me out the door pretty quickly. I'd say it lasted about two weeks, really. Wow. Um, yeah, so I got fired. <laughs> um, but then G I think uh, Gianni was so lovely. I think he felt so bad about it all that he, he, you know, let me pick any cloth out of his collection and said, I'll cut you a suit and you can go away and make it for yourself and I'll take you through my um, drafting method. And he did. And that suits in the shop today still. Um, wow. And I just thought it was just the, just such a lovely touch. I mean, he's a really lovely man. Um, and I, what was the cloth that he gave you? Uh, he gave me a vintage Italian flannel um, in this sort of dusty, dark blue. 
Um, yeah, and I'd, I'd visit him whenever I'd go back there and have a chat with him, try and show him, you know, I'd wear the stuff, the cloth he gave me every time I can. So you finally, you're, you're walking a mile and a half uphill both ways to this tailor. You finally get a good word in with a tailor in Florence. Um, are we still living in the barn at this point? When, when no, so I'm not. So I'm Florence? thinking, so instantly I'm in Florence. I can't really commute from the barn. I don't have a car. I don't have a driver's license. The bus is, it, it isn't, I have to walk sort of, sort of local town to get the bus. So that wasn't really on the, on the cards either for an everyday thing. So I've got a flat in Florence. It's small, but you know, I'm going at it. And then I lose, so I lose the job. Which I I felt pretty safe in, you know. Um, I don't know why. I just sort of thought, no, okay, this has got it. I guess I've been lucky to this point. Why wouldn't I be lucky now? Um, And then I get fired. I'm having a bit of a shocker. I'm probably talking to my sister on the phone, being like (laughs) a little bit worried. But no, I I carry on. uh, I carry on going to... um, going to everywhere I can really to try and get a, a, a foot in the door. Um, there was one, you know, I can't at this point, I can't really mention names cause I don't think they'd appreciate it. There's one I went to and trained with, but then took another sort of training with someone else. I was, I was sort of job interviewing for two people. One of them found out Well, they both found out really. And they weren't neither party was happy about it. And they sort of said, you know, pick one or you know one of them were like right start here um so i continued with them and carried on for a happy happy while wasn't too long i sort of you know i had another job at the time which was keeping me going which was sort of art direction for some for 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 a small brand um, that was keeping me going, keeping my rank going, I guess. Um, that was that was art direction. What was that? Well, it's sort of art direction, or sort of advice, or sketches for a small brand that was going on here in London, and they called me back. And I thought, um, and to be honest, I thought I, I wasn't. Yeah, was it really? I thought I'd take that job for a bit. It offered something a bit different. I was working in this tailoring house, but. It was also still up in the air, although I just spent all these years doing tailoring and all this stuff. I don't, I don't know, really. Uh, but anyway, I left that tailors after about eight months and came back to London and lost that job pretty shortly afterwards. So that was so while you were the whole time that you were in in Tuscany or in Florence, you were doing also part time uh, art consulting, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I was doing say art consulting stuff in the evenings, um, and that's what was and that was that was what was keeping you going financially. So then you yeah. you get to the tailor in Florence, things go south, and then there's this kind of in between period, and you find another tailor. And what was that? What was this last tailor that you were with there? Well, I was with the Rano. Okay. Um, okay. I guess that's what I went out there for, really. Okay. So uh, then you you stayed with Liverano for those last eight months. I did, yeah, and it was um, uh, just an absolutely lovely time. They're really, really sweet to me. Um, I got along with everyone there. Um, they're a really lovely bunch, and as you mentioned earlier, Vittorio's 
big character. He's a great um, guy. He is a great guy, yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I finished, yeah, I finished quite early in the training of things that go on there. I didn't get very far. I just enjoyed sort of working and making there. And and I think it's, um, yeah, I think their quality is exceptional. So you spend those eight months there with Liverano and then now what was what was the thing that made you want to go back to london when did you say that's it it's time to go i guess this job took me back here but once i was back here i kind of i felt pretty this, settled this is the art the... consulting job right yeah but it sort of stopped quite quickly after actually coming back home to london but for the first time i sort of felt settled and quite happy where i was um training wise I don't, I don't know if I, as I was thinking about doing tailoring again, I was quite happy to just go at it. I felt it was a good point in which um, I've seen everyone I want to see do it. I um, So I just I felt settled being back in London. There wasn't anyone I was craving to work under or wasn't anyone I told I had to you know work under if I was going to take it seriously ever. So I'd, I'd done that bit and um, I just felt happy being back here. I had a friend, my business partner now, who sort of loves the world in which we work in. Um, loves the spoke, knows an awful lot about it. Um, and was like, and we sort of both looked. At, I guess I don't know if I looked at him and said, "Should we do this?" Or he looked at me and said, "Should we do this?" But we're, we're, we've ended up doing it through one way or another. Um, so that's that's you and Bert, who we have the um, article yeah, coming out, uh, yeah, on uh, in the next couple of weeks, and then your company Speciale. So that was so you're back in London, and you're doing this art consulting, and then short sh- shortly thereafter that finishes, right? Yeah, and. And then you're kind of like, you know, you're friends with Bert. You guys had already met in uh, Florence, right? Because I think Bert had, had had trained there as a tailor, right? Yeah, Bert did, it, uh, Bert did a little stint out in Florence as well. He, um, he was staying with me at the time. And initially how Bert and I met was a friend put us together because he wanted to learn a bit about tailoring. And I had a, that workshop in London at the time. So by the time I actually went to Florence for the second time, um this is to the barn he was sort of um trying to do other work himself which he didn't find that interesting and then wanted to come out to florence by the time i'd actually moved there and then came out and started working for another tailor wow so is have we have we finished the story of of george or is is there still something else in there that we that we didn't cover because i think i think we covered quite a bit I think I think we got enough. <laughs> I think that's about it, really. Well, because uh, that brings us up today. So now let's talk just a minute. Um, I don't want to. I, I think we could also have another podcast about speciale uh, uh, specifically, and I think we'd have many other podcasts. It seems like we could talk <laughs> forever about this stuff. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about speciale? And I know we already talked a, um, a bit about it at the beginning of the podcast. But just more about your make and kind of what has inspired you. And I know we already talked about your whole story, so I'm, all those things have inspired you. But could you just talk to us a, bit, a little bit about that? I guess what I see um, my tailoring to be today is um, I try and I, obviously we all you know try and honor those that we've been work well, that we worked under, or maybe some don't. I don't know. Personally, I feel like you know most people I've met or most tailors I've met are trying to honor those that have taught taught us and gone before us so that's a big part of it obviously i've also got the name on the front of the door 
Um, and although, you know, no one walking past knows that's what it is, uh, there are one or two people in the world that know what it is. And I've really got to try and uphold the standards in which, which they had before me. In the long run, I'd like to get, I'd like to make, to be honest, fewer and just make them by hand completely. The standard in which I work at today is sort of, um, of that in which I learned in, in sort of Tuscany by that coat maker. Uh, what we put out as a Florent in basic terms, what we put out as a Florentine cut. The only thing that sort of differs is the sort of, uh, there's a higher, we do a higher trouser, more English sort of length of trouser. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't say it differentiates that much. Uh, I've probably got a wider lapel, definitely got a bigger collar. Um, so I'd say that's the difference in cut and the making is just as true as I can get it to what I've been trained as. Do you, when you say you want to do things by hand, are you talking about armholes, like double puntini, um, like what, what do you mean? Oh, I'm talking you, about, you, I'm talking about jets, man, like inside pockets, like the whole bag. Oh well, yeah. Well, how else do you do jets? I don't know how else you do jets. Your internal pockets? No, no, but like on a machine. Yeah. Do you machine your jets? The internal pockets, the jetted internal pockets. No, no, the outside pocket. The outside pocket that you have the two, uh, you have your top seam and your bottom seam, which makes the jet, and then you finish it by hand. You just have those two rows of stitching. Yeah, which is done by a machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You're talking about I'm, that. Oh yeah, I'm talking about that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not stopping. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. So then, yeah. so then you're also going to do the, your breast pocket by hand too, I imagine. Then. Yeah. The, exactly. the seam, the seam. We're talking about seams here. Oh, oh yeah, we're side about, seams. Yeah, as we're well? talking about seams. Yeah, side seams, back wow. seam. That's my dream. That's why I like. I see. Yeah, I'd like to see it going. Wow. The original well, listen, guy who taught me had that dream as well. What's so that's that? That's the only way to make a suit. <laughs> the original guy who taught me is like, yeah, if the machine touched it, it's dead. And uh, I don't believe that. I just think I have a lot more fun if I'm making everything completely by hand. Um, yeah, he called well, it, it definitely. Lud. It definitely goes against the English tradition. <laughs> he um, he called it Lud Bespoke after the Luddites. Lud bespoke. Yeah, wow. it's quite quite fun. Definitely going to give that a crack one day. Well, I think you could get. I mean, we're talking about handwork here. I think you could do it, George. Yeah, it's just a different. It's a slightly different price point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually do think in my research, I actually found a tailor who I think is in London, who makes I want to say like twelve suits a year, and each suit I think is thirty or forty thousand pounds. And literally everything is by hand. All the seams, everything. Oh wow! If you if, if you don't know who no they are, I'll have to find them and send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you gotta find this guy. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look that up and send it to you. I remember it was a year or two ago that I found this person. I was like, wow, this guy does literally everything by hand. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's the price point we were talking about: thirty or forty thousand pounds. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think that's where every tailor would like to be, really. 
Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is another thing that we should we should definitely talk about. In another yeah, sorry, yeah, it's like this pricing. No, 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 no. Is is pricing of suits because I, th- you know, at least how I see it is prices of 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 made to measure and of ready wear have been rising. Well, the a lot of tailors in Italy, in particular, you know, you can still go, you can still come to Rome, or I'm not sure about Florence, but you know, I'm here in Rome, and a lot you can still go around and there. Are, there's more than a handful of tailors where you can get a full bespoke suit for like 1200 euros. And, um, while that may be great for a client or that's interesting, it's, I think that's really difficult, uh, for the industry. I think it's just difficult for, for growth in the industry. But again, yeah, that's is, another yeah. thing that we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to say on that? Um, no, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of agree. I like the way some tailors going out there now, starting like Michael Brown, for example. I, I don't know. I'm not going to quote his, his prices now because I don't know exactly what they are, but I, I know they're high, and I kind of, kind of got a bit of respect for that. And he's doing everyone a favor by doing it. Um, yes, he is doing it. He's yeah. making people recognize, you know, the work that goes into it because they're not just getting it; they're, you know, having to think about how much money they're, you know, paying for something. So then little extra thoughts going into what they're getting, which is good for the, I really think it's good for the industry. I think it's the way it should go. Well, yeah, I think it's great. I think it makes people, it makes the client more serious about their suit. Um, again, talking about like with my experience here in Rome, it's kind of like people expect everything and then they want to pay kind of ready to wear or made to measure prices for that. And, and it really stresses the tailor, stresses the tailors and it stresses the you know the people who uh, people who are making the garments because like there's just they're just tight on money, um, which is a really sad mm. thing to see. So I do I definitely do think what he's doing, what Michael Brown is doing, is is really good for the industry. Yeah. Well, listen, George, we're gonna have to make another podcast or two or three. I don't know how many other episodes <laughs> talking about some of the other stuff in here because there we covered so much incredible. Yeah, I hope I didn't waffle uh, on too much. Things. Well, no, that's what the whole that's what the whole podcast is about. So we're gonna have. I know we. I already talked asked you about this uh, about how people can get in touch with you, and that's just going to Speciale's website, um, which I believe is speciale three two four dot com. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's our website. Um, yeah. You can definitely get and see a bit about what we do, and definitely get in contact with me through that. For any reason, really, whether you want a suit or um, anything, really. And you guys are also on Instagram. Uh, we are indeed. Sp- the same thing, special. Same thing. Three, three two, two four. four. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to get you right to Bert, um, who is your business partner, correct? It is exactly. Just it, ask, ask for me on on if you if you want me. If not, Bert's your man. But um, anything to do with email or messaging will go straight to Bert. George, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. No, thank you, man. It's really, it was really lovely. Thank you for listening to Common Threads, produced by Artifacts. Make sure to visit our website at discoverartifacts.com and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, If you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or even better, if you'd simply share the show with a friend. Until next time.